Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. It's a big moment in the short history of the Exploring Leadership show. Today, we have our first international guest. I'm delighted to have just interviewed Alfredo Argueta. And Alfredo, I'm so sorry if I still got that pronunciation wrong. (laughs) I look forward to our guests hearing it spoken correctly by you and uh, the chance to hear your tremendous stories and uh, reflections on lessons from the last uh, 15 months or so and just the story of you. So um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot here at the beginning because there is so much richness and substance to what Alfredo has to share with us today. Um, and also, I'm not going to leave an afterthought uh, because, uh, again, similarly, we dive pretty deeply in the second half of the interview into the topic of empathy. And Alfredo just does such a marvelous job of illustrating what that really looks like. And then together, he and I kind of uh, put that into an action item that is so well uh, established that I'm just going to let that interview end um, and speak for itself. So delighted, delighted again to have Alfredo and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Uh, your feedback is always welcome and just feel blessed to uh, have had the chance to interact with him today. Welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, you are serving currently as the Chief Executive Officer of uh, Dicarina. Did I get that one right? How, how is that pronunciation? Spot on. Okay, good. And your, I mean, your firm is uh, one of the preeminent uh, logistics distribution companies in Panama. Around 1,800 employees, yep. you distribute products for some global brands as, as well as lots of brands there in Latin America. Yeah. I remember seeing um, Unilever, Clorox, a lot of P&G brands, I guess, that live under the P&G umbrella. And then Unilever, the, uh, actually. Unilever. Oh, okay, Unilever. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Yeah, so anyway, i just so so pleased to be able to visit with you here. And uh, first, would love to hear... Just about you, your life, who you are, what what brought you to this point of leading such a tremendous company? Well, for, firstly, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. Um, kudos to your podcast. I've had the opportunity to listen to your, you know, some of your episodes with other guests, and it's uh, it's some great content. So I'm really honored to be here with you. So thank you so much for for the opportunity. Um, a little bit about myself. Well, I'm I'm based in Panama City, Panama. My wife is Panamanian. Uh, our family lives here in Panama now. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Honduras. That's where I was born and raised. Spent a few years living in the States when I was younger uh, due to my my dad's academic profession. He spent a few years doing research at the Library of Congress in, in Washington, D.C. So we lived out in that neck of the woods uh, for a while. Grew up in Honduras, um, you know, quite active in, in sports, um, school as well. My main sport was swimming. I, I swam, you know, throughout uh, my, my, my childhood, my teenage years, went off and did my undergraduate degree in Canada, and I swam there as well four years on the varsity team. Spent a total of five years in Canada, four in university, then one year working. My first, let's say, proper formal working experience was at TD Bank. And then I, I did a master's degree in the UK, Aston University, based out of Birmingham, England. Did a master's in uh, international business, and then started, you know, my, my professional career um, in a British company as well, BAT, 
uh, British American Tobacco. And it took me, you know, across some incredible assignments in Central America, the Caribbean, was able to visit Nigeria and did a three-year assignment in the Middle East. Then I came back to Panama, um, was with BAT a couple more years, uh, looking after some countries in this region, then had the opportunity to join Kellogg's, the U.S. cereal and snacks company. So I was, th- I was with them for almost three years. And that's where my uh, relationship with Dicarina started because Dicarina distributes Kellogg's products here in Panama, you know. So during that period of time, I was on, let's say, the, the brand side, you know, on, on Kellogg's side. And, and I was working closely with, you know, Dicarina as a distributor here in Panama. And that's, you know, where we got to know each other, working very closely together between the teams. And then eventually the owners, you know, uh, felt it was a, a key moment to do a transition, implement a corporate governance uh, to the organization, uh, them taking, you know, a step to the side from day-to-day operations and, and having more of a board role. And then offered me, you know, the great opportunity to, to take the reins of Dicarina. I joined last year, August, uh, as their CEO. And so far, you know, really enjoying the ride, the challenges. It's been a uh, what a year, you know, it's kind of hard to even put adjectives to, to the year we just had. But yeah, and then I'm here today, May 25th, uh, speaking to you on your great podcast. Tremendous. Well, I, I love it. And thank you for uh, for sharing those details and for your kind words as well. I really appreciate that. I mean, I, I'm just trying to follow your follow you the best I can as I'm listening. And I imagine that uh, the global experiences you've had, I mean, those, those stand out to me as you tell your story, mm. uh, living in the U.S. and Canada and the U.K., traveling to Nigeria, the Middle East. I mean, uh, all these international experiences, uh, I guess it's more of a question, how have those shaped the way you think about life and leadership and what you're doing now as, as uh, a CEO of, of a large company? Have those played a role, I guess, in the way that you approach your current position? Mm. That's such a key question you just asked, because I would tell you that's really probably one of the most lasting experiences I've had into who I am today. I'd probably tell you that firstly, let's say my first foray into, you know, international experience was through swimming, you know, so being a swimmer and being, you know, going to international swim meets and whatnot, that kind of opened my eyes to to meeting people from different places, uh, countries, cultures. But then what really just took it to the next level was when I went to university in Canada, I studied in a school called Trent University out of Peterborough, Ontario, um, top-notch university in Ontario, really proud to be an alumni of, of Trent. And that, you know, they have such a robust international program at Trent. You have students from all over the world. And that was really my first foray into literally meeting people all across the globe, you know, from people in Fiji, literally, you know, I had a really good friend from Fiji studying at Trent University, people from Africa, people from the Caribbean, from other countries in Latin America, exchange students from Europe. So that was really, you know, that was kind of my first, let's say, crash course into globalization, you know, inter this whole international experience. And just open, I open up my eyes big time, you know, and, and, and realities from different parts of the world, being sensitive, you know, to, to different cultural aspects from people from all over the world. And probably I would tell you that's, you know, the, the most formative experience I've had to your great question 
was those four years at Trent University. It, it was life changing. Absolutely. Um, and, and it just taught me a lot because without knowing, you know, I was at Trent between the ages of 17 to 21, you know, so you're just getting started. You have no idea where you're going to go, what your career is going to be like, where you're going to work. You got none, no ideas about that, you know, but through this kind of international experience, you know, I started, I believe now that I look back, you know, over 20 years ago, a lot of, you know, leadership values, leadership skills, being able to listen, you know, having empathy that your reality isn't the only reality, you know, and, and there are valid points of view from other people learning how to put yourself in other shoes, you know, and, and just being able to listen, you know, and also learning from people with different styles, you know, because when you meet people from different parts of the world, well, there, there's also differences, you know, in how they were raised, how they were brought up, um, personality traits. So then, you know, you just start to form yourself. And I think, um, just having an open mind, knowing that there's not one way of doing things. And there's such an incredible array of, of experiences globally from all stretches of the globe. If you're open and willing to learn, to listen, and to understand there are different ways of doing things, it just kind of sets you up as you go on through life, whether it's university, professional, work, personal, just really, you know, having an open mind being humble, you know, having an appetite to learn from other people. And personally today, I, I can tell you that's, uh, as I mentioned before, probably the most formative experience I've had for sure. Wonderful. I, I love, I love your thoughts. Uh, just especially your comments around empathy. And uh, I, I think of just the value of having a deeper context for challenges as they come up. Um, again, recognizing that uh, maybe something that that someone else may feel is a, uh, I guess a, a significant challenge, uh, even in your business. Maybe there's there's a shipment that's running late or something like that. And of course, that's a big deal. I'm not trying to say that's small. Yeah. But when you've seen third world countries and you've kind of walked a mile in someone else's shoes who is in much more dire straits, it's maybe a little bit easier to to pause and to realize that the situation may not be as life or death, life and death as, uh, as sometimes we want to make it. Um, I don't know. That's just something that came to my mind. Again, thinking of my own experiences overseas and, and some of the things that I've learned. Um, I, I love what you said there toward the end with uh, if you're willing, if you're open and willing to learn, to understand there are different ways of doing things. Um, it, it sets you up for kind of that broader view, having more of an open mind and and a, I just get, get a sense of humility from you as well um, that you you see that there's there's more than one way to solve different problems. I wonder if that translates into it, 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 it's kind of natural for you to not want to micromanage your team. Uh, obviously, as a CEO of a almost 2000 person company, you can't afford to be in all the details. I guess is that true? Has it made it a little bit easier for you with with your global experience, with your experiences at university in your young years? and all the things you've done since then, is it kind of natural for you to, to just trust your people and, and mm. recognize that they have their own way of doing it as opposed to always having to do it the way that you, you, you see it might need to be done? Yeah, listen, I, I, um, I would probably um, say that it's, it's, it's a little bit of both, um, and, and I'll go into that a little bit. What I mean from that is that in this type of business that we're in, uh, the distributor business, the logistical business, you can't afford to be, you know, kind of at 30,000 feet sure. managing the business. You you really need to be 
in the nuts and bolts. You really need to be in the details. You need to really go into the, the details of your PL. You really need to understand it because that's just the nature of the business, you know. Yeah. It's very hands-on, it's very operational, and that's very important. And I think to your original question, I think you can do that. You can know your business without having to micromanage your team. And I think one of the things that I learned, you know, working in, in BAT, working in Kellogg's, was how important it is to have the right people in the right positions, especially in a leadership team, you know. And I was blessed along my professional career to have great leaders, mentors, coaches. And I think when I look back at my career and, and some of these multinational uh, companies, I think where I thrived the most is when I had my direct manager uh, just placing a lot of trust in me and saying, listen, Alfredo, you're the right person for the job. You're going to do a great uh, job. It's not going to be simple. And I'm going to be there for you along the way. You know, you have questions, you want to bounce ideas in the tough moments. I'm going to have your back. But you know what? You're you're the right person for this position and you got my full banking. Good times and bad. I'm going to be there for you. And when I had that kind of approach with, let's say, my direct line manager, it's kind of liberating in the sense that you know that they've got your back. And that's where I felt, you know, I could make decisions. I was more empowered. I could lead the business. I also knew I didn't have all the answers, but I also knew that I had somebody that I could, you know, turn to. And, and listen, I'm thinking about these two or three different options. What do you think? What do you recommend? So I've tried to take those learnings also with my team in, in Dicarina um, and for them to know that I am involved in the business and, and that I, I need to know the details. I need to know, you know, the nuts and bolts. Because of the nature of the business, it's very important to be hands-on. But at the same time that I'm able to convey to them through words and actions that, listen, you're our sales director, for example, you know, and you're the right person for the job. You've got 100% of my support and trying to take those learnings that I had from the past and conveying to them and, and for the, them, the team to feel like, hey, listen, I've got Alfredo's full support. I've got his full backing. And that I know I can turn to him in the best of times and in the worst of times, you know. Um, and I think it's just creates a healthy working environment, creates trust, creates credibility, sense of ownership as well. Where I am now, I feel that all these experiences that I had really was kind of a road that was paved over, you know, more than 15 years to where I came here today. I wouldn't have been ready for this position five years ago, much less 10 years ago, you know, but 15 plus years of experience, you know, of learnings, successes, failures, et cetera, I think, you know, brought me to where I am now. And your question is, you know, it's, it's so important. And, and I think that you can be hands-on in the business and, and, and understand it and add value, but at the same time, having a leadership team that has their own space, that can make decisions, that feel empowered, that feel trusted, and I think if you can get that formula to work, it's like a trickle down effect across the whole organization, you know, just to have a great environment. Absolutely. Boy, amazing. I, I love I love your uh, elaborating and, and again, striking this or illustrating that you can achieve this appropriate balance of, uh, of again, as you put it, being in those crucial details. And I just love your statement when you were referring to uh, a leader that you reported to in the past 
where you said, I thrived the most when my direct manager trusted me. Yeah. I think that is such a powerful leadership lesson that, uh, that I think all of us can take to the bank, so to speak, you know, that we can, we can apply and, and it will, it will uplift uh, not only people in their, their sense of self and their degrees, their level of confidence, but also performance of the organization. Because when people feel trusted, they tend to rise to the challenge uh, most of the time, right? I think the large majority, that's a rare occasion when someone uh, just kind of falls flat because people want to be contributing uh, naturally. And again, you, you talked earlier about having the right people. Obviously, that's the other half of the equation is making sure you have those right people in place. So I just I love what you've taught us here. Uh, what, what a wonderful series of lessons. Well, and, and that might be an appropriate uh, segue into reflecting on the last uh, 15, I don't know, 14, 15 months or so, uh, you've led this company through a pretty significant chunk of the pandemic. Uh, you and I spoke ahead of time a little bit about some of those lessons learned, the the resiliency we touched on a little bit, becoming stronger through adversity. If, if you feel like that's an appropriate place to go, would just love to hear some of your thoughts around some of those lessons and, and tying it back to leadership. Uh, absolutely. You know, it's the biggest challenge we've had in our lifetime ever. And those are, are big words, you know, but it, it, it really has been, you know, it's, it's just rocketed the globe from point to point. It really has been a, a, a defining uh, moment in our history, you know, and I, and I mean this just globally, right? Um, I think when I tie it into Di Carina, as you rightly said, I, I've been with the organization almost from the get-go of the pandemic, a few months after it happened. And I think something very specific to our organization is that in a distributor, in a logistical operation, well, our role is in the field, in the trade, um, sales. You know, we, we distribute uh, food, uh, medicines, products that, you know, the consumer needs on, on a day-to-day basis, you know. So not only do we have to be out kind of on the front line, but also our whole logistical and warehouse operation, well, people need to be at the office, you know. So the whole scope of the Carina, you know, I, I would tell you that at least 95% of the population needs to be in the office, you know. So the whole work from home mm-hmm. aspect that worked for other companies, other organizations, for, for us, it, it just wasn't feasible, you know. So I think the first challenge was keeping our people safe. And then when we go back to being able to listen, you know, trusting the experts, trusting the authorities, how can we operate on the front lines while keeping our our people safe? You know, that was the number one priority for us. So, so important to work with the authorities, so important to work with the experts, so important to work with the Ministry of Health, you know, what are the recommendations? How can we keep our people safe? What do we have to do? Also communicating with our, with our staff and our people, you know, and our teams. This is what we, you know, these are what the experts are telling us. You know, these are the tools that we're going to give you so that we all keep safe, you know, that we're all healthy, that we all are able to manage through this pandemic. But you have to communicate effectively, you know, across 1,800 people all of these things that are happening at the same time, you know, you can't just, you know, have a bullet, put something on a bulletin board, you know, you need to communicate. People need to be safe. People need to know that we're looking after them. So I think that was huge, you know, and at the same time, I think we also built kind of this sense of responsibility because we deliver food and medicines, 
within some of the brands that we manage across Panama from end to end of the country. You know, so we also had a responsibility to the country to make sure that these key necessities are available in pharmacies, in supermarkets, in mom and pop stores, et cetera, you know? So, it will, you know, things combined in the sense of we need to keep doing our job. We need to be safe. We need to make sure our teams are taken care of, that we give them all the tools that they need, that we effectively communicate, you know, because if you remember, this was kind of like a daily thing with the pandemic, you know? There were new findings and there were new uh, cautions issued by, you know, health department. Well, you have to be careful with this and, and you need to do this. And, and so it was just that con- continuous communication with the team about how things are evolving. How do we keep safe? But then at the same time, I think it actually not only was it resiliency for the team, but it brought us together because it allowed us to pause, take a step back and, and to understand, you know, this isn't just a business. People are depending on our logistical operation and our distribution network to make sure that food and medicines are available in pharmacies, in supermarkets, in mom and pop stores, et cetera. So we also took that as a, as a great responsibility to say, that, you know what? I mean, we've got people counting on us, you know, so, so that kind of also gave us a sense of purpose, I think, more, more so than just the commercial being of the company, but also a sense of purpose that we're part of a a lot of people that are in the front lines right now. And in our particular space, we've got a really important job to do. And we have families, we have children, we have people all across this country depending on us. So we need to do things as best as we can because of this responsibility. It just kind of superseded kind of the commercial reason as to why we operate and why we exist. Um, So I think those two things are things that kind of intertwined, became really important. Um, You know, and and at the same time, you know, I think that the the aspect of communication, the aspect of empathy, I mean, you know, we we had team members that, you know, as time went on, you know, uh, family members that, that had COVID or then they themselves had COVID, you know, so... And as the cases started to to increase, I mean, globally and also in the country, it was just important to make sure that the team knew that we were there, that we were communicating, that we were taking all the measures necessary to keep our staff as healthy and as protected as possible. And I couldn't be more proud of of our team, you know, that that, that made it happen, our health and safety team that just really uh, went over and above to make sure we were all safe that whether we were out in the field selling or we were in the office or we were in the warehouse that we were protected. It was a hygiene environment and, you know, and and we were well taken care of. And it just um, out of just sheer necessity just brought us all together. And I would end with that kind of higher purpose and responsibility. It made us, kind of take that step back and say, wow, you know, we're doing something really important here and we got families depending on us. Uh, And it just made us take our job that much more serious. I'm wondering too, leading, leading through a crisis is a pretty unique uh, thing, especially again, like a global level (laughs) months long, you know, over a year long 
pandemic, like we we're still finishing, hopefully uh, navigating through, I would imagine that the, I just, as I'm listening to your amazing reflections and lessons learned, uh, I would think that uh, there may have been some challenge with, uh, with maintaining people's morale. Again, although they're latching onto this higher purpose, which is so vital and, and valid, um, was it sometimes a challenge to keep people, I guess, focused on the right things and not slipping into a place of, of fear of either fear of getting sick or kind of playing the what if game? Like, what if we have an outbreak here locally within the company and we have to shut down or, you know, some of those types of things. It's good to be able to run those scenarios and mitigate risk as best we can. But how, how did you and your leadership team prevent things from becoming complete chaos, I guess, is maybe the, the way I'm, I'm trying to think about this. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and and there were tough tough moments, absolutely, you know, 100%. Very, very challenging times for all of us, especially, you know, I, I think that at least here in Panama when the pandemic hit, at the very beginning as was, you know, you, were, you would start hearing of cases, but perhaps not necessarily uh, close to you, right? You know, oh, there were so many cases over here, over there, but then in your community, in your neighborhood, a family member. So then it really starts to hit home. So there were some, some definitely some tough times along the way to your question. I think what, what just became vital was communication. You know, I mean, we had daily meetings with the leadership team, you know, kind of like a, a, a crisis committee um, where we said, okay. Where are we? You know, what's the latest? How are our teams? Uh, what do we need to do better? What are we improving on? What updates do we have from the Ministry of Health? Is there something new? Is there something that we need to look out after? And along the way, there were different quarantine measures, you know, that were being implemented as, you know, cases rose and whatnot. So we also needed to be very agile, very quick to, to respond, et cetera. But I think it was just having very transparent constant communication. We were meeting every single day and things would just be discussed very openly and very transparently. And I think coming out of that meeting, we all knew that we had a role then with our own, you know, with each functional leader, them with their teams and having kind of that alignment within the leadership team so that then they could carry that same message to their teams because then they, they had their own challenges with their own team members, you know. But I think ensuring that that communication channel was open always with the leadership team. These daily kind of crisis committee meetings with the entire leadership team was just critical because it also kind of not only became a regular committee meeting, but it also became a safe space for everyone there to just vent and to say, listen, I'm having this challenge and this is happening and I don't know what to do. And, 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 you know, and then we kind of all rally and say, well, listen, we did this. You know, I had a similar case to you over here and this is what we did and it didn't work. So don't try that. Or it did work. And I can recommend this. So I think those were so helpful because not only was it hands on action plans would come out of it. And but it was also a space where, you know, within the confines of leader, this leadership team, we could be very open and transparent to say, listen, I'm having these challenges with my team or, or this happened. I don't know how to how to handle this. What do you recommend? And just having that literally every single day, it was very powerful for all of us to feel part of this network that we weren't alone, you know, and we were there to support each other. And the, um, you know, finance wasn't separate from IT, 
IT was supporting finance, finance was supporting IT, marketing was, you know, we were all there for each other and having everyone there, you know, and having these daily meetings and having that open communication, I think was just key, you know, for those very tough, challenging uh, moments that, that, that occurred and, and were many during the pandemic and, and, you know, and it's still ongoing, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, but in those very difficult moments in the beginning, I think that was very important. Well, and you mentioned it's still ongoing. I was just thinking back on the the early weeks and months of the pandemic. I heard often, I would hear people say things like, well, as soon as things get back to normal, then, you know, and whatever the end of that sentence was. Um, but then we started to realize that there really is not going to be just a return to normal. And in a sense, there's some silver lining there because I, I've talked to a lot of leaders who have learned really powerful lessons that have caused them to make changes that they will never go back and undo those changes. Like there's been improvements made mm. in processes and the approach of the business overall. Have there been any of those that, uh, that I guess that come to mind for you? And then we'll transition into talking about maybe an action item that uh, we can challenge the listening audience to take home with them. But any thoughts around the, the changes you made that you'll, you'll keep in place? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things, particularly in the business that we're in, it's all about our consumer, right? It's all about the consumer. Um, and I think what was fascinating in this space of, you know, kind of fast moving consumer goods was the changes the consumer did in terms of shopping habits, for example. And, and there were many, you know, this is a podcast in itself, kind of the, the learnings from the pandemic and which things, you know, will, will change moving forward. But I think one thing that was very specific was that even if we if we take ourselves as example, our shopping behaviors, our shopping patterns, our consumption behaviors, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic have changed, have evolved for different reasons, you know? So I think one of the things that we have looked really keenly at is, you know, what things have evolved and what things have changed. And I think in terms of, if I bring it specifically to Panama, I think the whole e-commerce space is something that has, you know, evolved at light speed. You know, I think that it's not just a fad. I think that it's something that's here to stay, you know, uh, definitely. And I think along the way, a lot of paradigms have been broken, you know, because at, at some point it was, um, well, you know, this types of product, I, I would never um, buy them online. You know, I want to go physically and buy them, you know, and, and there's a story I like to, to say, you know, for example, one of the things that we would hear was, you know, that the consumer likes to buy their own fruits and vegetables, you know, because you want to see your avocado, you know, and you want to have it in your hand and, and you want to make sure it's the right size or color or, 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 you know, that you're looking for. And then it was like, well, you know, I want to make that decision. You know, I don't want somebody else to pick it for me because they might not have the same criteria as I do. But then, for example, you've had along the way, you know, for example, uh, farmers that let's say had a had a farmer's market on the weekend and this was their point of sale where they would sell fruits and vegetables. And with the pandemic and certain quarantine restrictions, they would reinvent their model and they would be like, well, you know what? Now I, I as the farmer, will have a platform where you can order fruits and vegetables and I'm the one picking them and selecting them and bringing them to you. So then you have people now ordering fruits and vegetables because they know you actually have an expert in the field selecting, you know, the type of fruits and vegetables that you want, you know? So it's just a, one example of how things have evolved, how certain people and professionals have reinvented their business model 
And then people are like, well, you know what? I mean, I'm never going back in terms of I know I can trust this person or this company or this organization for my fruits and vegetables because the last 10 times that I've ordered, it's come even better if I would have picked it, you know? So those are the types of things also that we work very closely with our brands and we're, we're watching very carefully, you know, what, what change in terms of these consumer uh, habits, you know, and, and, and shopping behaviors pre and post pandemic. And what we've learned is that some of these shifts weren't specific to the pandemic and then it's just going to go back to how it was before, but they stuck and they're here to stay. And you need to make sure that you're, that you're ready to identify those new patterns, behaviors, tendencies, and make sure you're ready to service that, you know? So I think that's like one example in terms of shopper, consumer uh, behavior patterns that have shifted post-pandemic. Well, and the lesson I take from that is don't make too many assumptions. You know, don't, don't assume that just because things have been one way for, in some cases, many decades or even hundreds of years, that uh, they're going to stay that way uh, when there's a crisis, especially when there's some type of, not necessarily even a crisis, but some type of major disruption, whether that's a new technology. I mean, if without the technology side, that wouldn't have even been possible uh, for people to make purchases like that on, online, of course. But anyway, so all, all things combined, don't make too many assumptions um, is one lesson. Your earlier statement, I just still love so much, uh, trusting your people to do the right thing. Like when you were trusted by that manager, you you alluded to, uh, you felt empowered and, and were kind of stepping up. Uh, another takeaway from our conversation for me has been uh, striking the right balance in the details, being in the details and then empowering people to to handle their their kind of area of responsibility. Uh, what other takeaways come to your mind from what we've discussed so far? And then, and then maybe we can uh, boil it all down into one or more action items, kind of a challenge for the listeners. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's something that that comes kind of top of mind, and it's kind of a a collection, you know, of, of learnings throughout kind of my my corporate career. Um, also, learnings that have been magnified through the pandemic. And I couldn't uh, stress it enough when I tie it in uh, to leadership uh, is the element of empathy. You know, that's, that's just something that I truly, truly believe in, you know, and I think it just holistically makes you a better leader, a better person. When you truly take the time, not only to listen, but, you know, the whole concept of empathy, putting yourself, you know, in the other situation or the other person shoes, it just allows you to take a, a step back, you know, to digest whether it's, you know, a specific situation or it's an issue or it's a business negotiation. I've been able to, you know, kind of in, in personal experiences that when you take the empathy approach, the, the outcome is, is always positive in the sense that it builds trust. It builds credibility. Um, even if you take it in, in, let, let's just use it as a, as a negotiation. You know, let's say you're in an important negotiation, whether it's with a client, you know, or a customer or whatnot. You know, sometimes we say, well, a, a win-win negotiation. Yeah, but what does really, what does win-win mean, you know? And if you say, well, you know, that it's a positive outcome for both parties. I think when you take, when you go into that, let's use a negotiation as an example, the empathy approach it really, it doesn't mean that you give up on perhaps things that are important to you or to your organization, but at the same time, it allows you 
to also understand what's important for the other party or the other side or the other person. Then there comes kind of a common understanding. And then you, 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 you really start to build and build and build because then the other person says, well, hey, I, I appreciate that you understand what's important to me. You know, and from what we've discussed, now I understand that this is important to you. And just throughout numerous years, I've always seen that taking that right, that approach builds credibility, builds trust, and builds a sustainable relationship. Because many times, if you don't take that approach, well, maybe you reached an agreement, but it wasn't really win-win, you know? And then when you need to renegotiate, then the other party's like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not interested. But this whole concept of empathy, and I was just using, let's say, a, a negotiation as an example, but you can extrapolate that to anything, you know, whether it's coaching, feedback, uh, hiring, uh, strategy sessions with your team, et cetera. If you always have that element of empathy, it really allows you to take a step back to understand the other side, to value what's important to them or to that organization or company or, or, or whatever the scenario is. Um, and, and that's one thing I would, I would definitely say that across the, you know, these numerous years uh, in the corporate world and whatnot, I think always bringing the element of empathy has always led to a positive outcome, you know? So I, I think that's one thing that I would also really stress um, just in, in, in overall, both the business world and kind of uh, the personal life as well. Well, I would, I love that so much. I, I would propose that that be our action item because it, it does strike home as something that is just so powerful. And I love how you put it, that it always leads to a positive outcome you know, it might not be the easy outcome necessarily. There may be still be challenges, but it comes to that positive place. So maybe we say the action item is to, for, for listening leaders, uh, is to step back in a situation, take a moment, walk on the other person's shoes for a mile or two, and then trusting that that positive outcome will come as you, you more clearly understand what the person's going through. Um, it will lead to higher trust, to deeper credibility, um, and those are, again, those are really your words. So thank you for, for putting those out there. I think it, it's such a powerful action item. Uh, of course, any, any comments on that or refinements of how you would phrase it? And then la the last thing, I'm curious if you have anything that if you had all of your employees listening right now, let's just, just let's just pretend that's the case. What might you say directly to them as you reflect on all that they've done and contributed over the past many months? And if you want, if you can even say that in, in their language, if you would, you would like, it's up to you. Well, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And, and if they were here, I would just tell them, you know, that number one, how proud I am of, of the team, of their courage, of their resiliency, of giving the extra mile, of being there for me every step of the way. Because I think that it's, it, it's a two-way street, you know, and, and this is a job that you can't do on your own. You don't have all the answers. You don't know everything. And it's really through the team, you know, that, that also guide you along the way and help you to reach that North Star and, and achieve whether it's, it's short-term operational plans or it's three, five, seven-year, 10-year strategic plans that you're building along the way slowly would be, a, 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 you know, just an incredible appreciation to them, to the team, uh, to their support, to their resiliency, to their commitment, 
to going the extra mile and that none of this would be possible if it, if it weren't for them, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm a better leader because of them and I continue to evolve every single day. So it would be just a, a great sense of appreciation and thanks for what they've done, you know, and for the organization, but also for me personal, personally, you know, they've really allowed me to grow, to evolve, to continue to learn and to together with them as a team, you know, continue to move, to move forward. It's, it's really a privilege and an honor for myself to, to be with such an incredible group of individuals. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Alfredo. That it's a, a great place to end. I, I won't add too much here at the end, just because you said it so well, and, and so we'll we'll just kind of leave things there with a with a huge, great uh, expression of gratitude uh, for you investing your time, uh, sharing the lessons learned. I know that I have a lot to think about and some things that I can act on uh, from what you've taught during our time together that will make me a better person and a better leader even in my family, which I think is one of the most important places to be great. Uh, so thanks for inspiring that. And just so grateful for you today. Thanks for spending the time. No, th- thank you. It's a, it's been a, an honor to be in your podcast. I love your work. I applaud it. Uh, I'm a big fan and I'd love to be back uh, once again someday in the future. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit LumenLeader.com. We'll see you next time.